Well, good morning. Uh, welcome uh, to St. Paul's Bursary. I'm really glad uh, that you're here. And uh, whether you're joining us online, uh, we have hundreds of people who join us every Sunday online, or you're here in the room. Tim and I have three young adult daughters, and I've had conversations with them over the years about some of their clothing choices. And uh, I don't think I've always handled those conversations as well as I could. And cultures have different norms around dress for women, uh, with different consequences for any women who violate those norms, right? You know, from kind of mocking on social media to violent arrest, uh, some countries flogging to death. This is the last week in our sermon series looking at the life of King David and how what David did imperfectly, Jesus does perfectly, and what that means uh, for our lives. And so far, David's been pretty shiny, right? Like a handsome giant killer who last week was given an eternal covenant with God, his name forever being linked with Jesus's, Jesus, son of David. I mean, like, that's quite incredible. But today, the shine is totally gone. David and Goliath has become David and Bathsheba, the woman who bathed naked and her life then torn apart. And while for like one second, I feel badly for David, that we're ending our series on the total low note of his life, it's a difficult, but I do think helpful encounter to end our series on because this is an often misunderstood story in the Bible, and it's misunderstood in ways that are, are clearly damaging for women, but also damaging for men. Damaging because misreading this story underestimates the power of sin over all of us. Whether you're curious about faith, or you've been hurt by the church, or, or maybe you're committed uh, to Jesus. And this matters because underestimating the power of sin has devastating real life consequences. And it can tragically diminish the power of God's grace. And grace is what makes life really worth living. So I wanna first really quickly look at how this passage uh, could be misunderstood, right? Then look at how we underestimate sin at our peril, and then we're gonna end by looking at the power of God's grace. So the story, uh, new for, for some of you here, but others of us grew up with a version that goes something like this. We're in about 1000 BC, uh, David is the undisputed king of ancient Israel, he's at the height of his power, and his troops are off at war somewhere. And why David, the leader of the military, is not actually with uh, his men is not entirely clear. But he's got time on his hands. So uh, the king goes for an afternoon stroll on the roof of his palace, and his gaze alights upon a woman who's bathing. And while the text doesn't say she's naked, honestly, she should have been more careful to protect herself from prying eyes because David, well, he can't help himself. He has to have her. And despite being told she's married to one of his senior military officers, David sends for the woman, Bathsheba doesn't resist his advances, and they have a brief affair, an affair that gets her pregnant. With the passage helpfully noting that she is at her most fertile when they slept together. David then orchestrates an elaborate cover-up 
uh, bringing Uriah home from battle. He gets Uriah drunk uh, and uh, he sends him home, assuming that he's going to sleep with his gorgeous wife, helpfully dealing with the paternity issue. But when Uriah decides to remain in solidarity with his men who are still at war and doesn't sleep with his wife, David resorts to plan B, right? He puts out a hit on Uriah, telling another military officer to make sure that Uriah is killed in battle. When he is, with his rival handily out of the way, David marries the pregnant widow. But the problem with this reading of the story is that it assumes that the commandment that's being broken is do not commit adultery. That sex is at the heart of this story, and it's not. The commandments being broken here are against stealing and murder. If sex was the main issue, then the sexual allure of Bathsheba then becomes problematic. We are told she's very beautiful. And as the Barbie movie recently reminded us, women have to be pretty, but not too pretty. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane. But if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women. Bathsheba, she was too pretty. And why didn't she resist his advances? Did she protest even a little bit when she was summoned? Takes two to tango. And David, well, of course, what he did was reprehensible, but what a tragedy he fell into temptation like this. Just think of what an amazing king he might have continued to be. So sad he never got to reach his full potential. This is how the story sometimes read today. Well, listen, while this biblical episode from Succession clearly has sex in it, that's not what it's about. It's about sin. And in this case, the sin of the abuse of power, which manifests itself in stealing and murder, the abuse of power of a king. Bathsheba never takes any of the action. David looks at her. David summons her. David has sex with her. David tries to trick her husband. David murders her husband. David then takes her as his fifth wife and adds her to his harem. And in contrast to David, Bathsheba has little to no power in this narrative. At every turn, she's acted upon. And excluding the three-word note that she sends, I'm pregnant, she's silent. And in not giving her a voice, we're told she couldn't speak. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that she believed that denying the king was impossible. He clearly had the power to kill her husband. This is not a story about an affair. As Ben said two weeks ago, it's about sexual assault. And sexual assault, according to our government, is the only violent crime in Canada not in decline. And there will have been some here today that have experienced that. And I want to carefully acknowledge that fact. Human kings, they take, they take. David abused his power. He took Bathsheba's body and Uriah's life. And while we didn't read it, when the prophet Nathan hears what's happened, he doesn't criticize Bathsheba, no. He fiercely denounces David's behavior by telling a, a story about power, about a rich man abusing his power over a poor man. And while this story is much more about power than sex, ultimately, it's a story about sin. 
and how we underestimate it at our peril. And look, I know this is uncomfortable. I know, it's uncomfortable to preach. But Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, helpfully describes how the normal state of the human heart, like the normal state of Jenny Anderson's heart, is to try to secure our sense of self and hope around things other than God. And the essence of sin is not the doing of bad things, right? That's too simplistic. But it's rather each of us clinging to the illusion that we're competent to run our own lives. I am not competent to run my own life. I'm not. And a sinful choice is whenever we knowingly put our desires above God's desires for the world, God's desires for other people. And a sin is not what bad people do, because the world is not divided into good people and bad people. And the Bible is crystal clear on this fact. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not just in a, eh, well, no one's perfect kind of way, but in a serious way, in a way that damages the earth, hurts other people, offends God who made the earth and the people, and for which the consequences are serious, they're eternal. Sin is a terminal sickness, and none of us is getting out alive. And if it can afflict David so spectacularly, like he was God's chosen and anointed king, and he could write so beautifully in the Psalms, I delight to do your will, oh my God, your law is written within my heart. If it can afflict him, like what hope is there for us mere mortals? We're good at telling ourselves lies. That mirror must be warped. <laughs> I'm totally over her. I'm just gonna watch one more episode. And thinking that we would never make choices like David. A colleague at a different church um, and I, we had a drink this week on Monday and he shared how he's gotten himself in a tricky situation, a complex uh, situation. And it led to us musing about how everyone, and I mean everyone, is about five minutes away from blowing up their life. Sending a text, looking at a website, budging a number that causes immense pain and destruction. Even the best of us are capable of making catastrophic choices. Sin is not safe. It can destroy everything you have. With every choice we make, big choices and those daily small choices, every thought we have can either uh, draw us closer to God or those choices can draw us away from God. And if God is the source of all life, the source of all that's good, the source of all love and hope, then that's actually a big problem. Like, I don't want to be drawn away from uh, the source of all that's good in my life. And in fact, the more we think uh, we would never do a David, the more we think that, the more danger we're in. St. Paul, who'd been around the block a few times, said this, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We're also talented at rationalizing and trying to cover up our brokenness, right? Like David concocts a plan to pin the paternity on Uriah. When that fails, he murders him. And when the prophet Nathan comes and tells David a story about a rich man abusing a poor man, 
David is outraged, right? Like he can see the sin so clearly in other people, but he can't see it himself. And, you know, you start with a small choice, but it rarely stays that way. Sin compounds and the interest rate is pretty good. David tries to clean up the mess he's made when he gets that note, but he can't do it. It cannot be undone. He just makes it spectacularly worse. We underestimate the power and destructiveness of sin, not only at our peril, but also at the peril of those we love. And even those we don't care about or even ever think about, right? Some of the choices we make will impact people in South Sudan. So, this is all pretty depressing. <laughs> it's definitely not why any of you came today. But this is why misreading this story is bad for all of us, men and women, seeker and disciple alike, because being in denial is not only dangerous, it, it can make us immune to the even greater power of God's grace. David cannot clean up his own mess. And in fact, the penalty under Mosaic law for deliberate murder and adultery was death. Sin is a sickness that leads unto death, the death of hopes, the death of dreams, eventually the death of our souls. Now, before we get uh, to how God's grace intervenes in David's disaster, I want to be clear. David's sin is judged by God. That matters. God is not blind to, nor does God treat lightly the suffering and abuse of Bathsheba. It does not get brushed under the rug. There are painful consequences. We just don't have time to unpack them today. And yet, our God is the God of yets. And yet, our God is a God who doesn't want our catastrophic, or just plain stupid, uh, daily choices to define us or the people that we hurt. And so, the last line of the reading. David said to the prophet Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. David can't scrub away the, the stain of blood that now covers Bathsheba and Uriah. He can't. So God makes a way. Jesus, descended from both David and Bathsheba, does perfectly what David fails so spectacularly to do. David is not willing to be a champion. He remains in his palace rather than going into battle, letting other men die in his stead. Jesus, our champion, well, he willingly left his palace, he left his heavenly home to fight the battle against sin and to win the battle, not through the bloodshed of other people, but through his own. David, well, he took someone else's life to cover up his sin. Jesus, willingly laying down his life so God's grace could pour over ours. Grace, unearned love, unearned mercy, it judges us, but then it heals us, restores us. And God's grace is what means every morning really is a fresh day. It's what means those cycles of revenge and violence can be broken. Grace is what can restore friendships. Grace is what can heal marriages. Grace is what can detoxify a workplace. Grace is a spiritual supernova in our midst. 
It's gifted to us by God the Father, and it's because of the sacrifice of his son Jesus, and it can be ignited in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit to make us reconcilers, to make us healers right here in the heart of the city. That's why we walked yesterday to raise money for the homelessness crisis. That's why we offer grief share, why we offer divorce care. That's why we're planting a new congregation at St. George's, because there is far more love and mercy found in Jesus than there is sin and destruction in us. Far more love found, and we want to share that love. Some here have made choices like David, physically, mentally. Others have been devastated by those choices. All of us are five minutes away from a ruinous decision. And we daily make choices that draw us and our children away from God's hope for our lives. But thankfully, God's super low standards means that God never turns away a sinner like me or you. So there's nothing that you and I could have ever done, ever said, that would put us beyond the reach of God's grace. As Susie said, it's Ash Wednesday in a few days' time. Yes, Lent begins on Valentine's Day. Repentance is for lovers, friends. Alongside our three services, 8 a.m., noon, and 7, we're going to be offering confidential confession with one of the clergy team. There's very few spaces left in our culture where you can be safely a transparent and honest. But God's mercy, God's grace, you don't have to wait till Wednesday. <laughs> it's right here, right now on offer. It's going to be literally embodied, like literally, in uh, the bread uh, that's going to be broken, uh, the wine that's going to be poured out, uh, in the meal that we're going to share as a community. And at the end of this series, we do thank God for the life and witness of flawed and yet still loved King David. But Jesus, he's the giant killer. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our healing. And King Jesus is our peace. Thanks be to God. Amen.